to help us um, in the time that we're in. Amen. And uh, we've been talked last week talked about giving thanks and about <clears throat> that thanks giving thanks is uh, is a does incredible things. In fact, I just was reading last night um, that when we give thanks to the Lord, when we give thanks for things in our lives and give thanks to learn to live a gra- life of gratitude, that your body actually your brain is designed that when you're in that status of thanksgiving that it actually is releasing all kinds of chemicals into your system to make you feel better. Dopamine, anybody probably know what dopamine is, that that dopamine is released through thanksgiving. So if you're down, start giving thanks. And it will it actually, psychology, this is a, a medical thing through the, uh, psychology, but it actually does do something to us. In the book of Luke, we read an interesting passage here, uh, Luke 17. Jesus is... You know, Jesus is really great uh, at using a precept and then having an example follow it, all right? Precept mean a truth, a teaching, and then an example follows it. And sometimes the examples were occurrences that he knew were coming, things that were about to happen, that he just is already preparing the disciples for. And it's interesting in Luke chapter 17 because we have one of those occurrences. There's others that uh, I could show you this morning, but we're just going to look at this one today. But uh, as Jesus is talking to his disciples and and sharing with them, he says in verse 7, all right, he begins to talk about a servant that's plowing and feeding the cattle, right? And he talks about that in, if you get down to verse um, verse, uh, 9, he says, Doth the one who's master of the servant thank them, because he did the things that were commanded him. And Jesus says, I don't think so. That's basically what he said. I don't think so. Because he did what he was supposed to do. He did what he was required to do. He get, did what he was commanded to do, if you look at this passage. And then he goes on and he says, So likewise you, when you have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants for we have done that which is our duty to do. Everybody say duty. So what he's saying is, look, that when you've done just what you're required to do, that's your duty to do that. And so you're not, there is no profit in just doing your duty is what the Lord's saying. He's saying you did what you're required to do. You did what you were told to do. You did what you were commanded to do, but you did no more than that. You only did what you had to do. There are lots of people live their lives that way today. They're just doing enough to get by, all right? Just enough. Spiritually, they're doing just enough to hold the line. Physically, they're doing just enough to hold the line. Emotionally, mentally, they're doing just enough to hold the line. And he's saying, look, when you do that, he says, I just want you to understand. And he's, he's not saying it, don't take it as a, uh, like an offensive thing that he's saying, well, gosh, if I only do what I need. Look, it's good for you to do what you're supposed to do. But he's saying, look, you need to realize that when you've just done what you're required to do, and that's all that you've done, he's saying, don't say you're a profitable servant because you've just done what you were required to do. Then an example shows up, and this is so awesome, because it says that that as he goes through all of this, in verse 11, it says, And so it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. 
And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men. Everybody say ten men. There were ten men that were lepers. Now, leprosy was the, was the, plight, was the curse of the day then. I mean, if you had leprosy, you couldn't be around people. You, they were to yell out unclean. Sharon and I had the opportunity when we were in India, we went to a leper colony. Now, these people all had dormant leprosy, but, but the leprosy, when we went to see them, I mean, they, it, it's a terrible disease. They, it still exists out there. And they, you know, they lose their, what, what leprosy does is they lose their ability to feel, okay? So they do things that cause their body and don't know it. So they lose toes and feet and, you know, just kind of like what if you've known somebody that's had diabetes, what diabetes can do to someone. And they lose fingers, they lose their noses, they, they don't know because they can't, because they have, um, is it called neuropathy, where you don't feel. They're just, they, they totally cannot feel anything. And so they stub their toe, break it, bust it. There it is. They don't even know that that happened. Well, leprosy, that's what it does. It continues to do that, and it continues to work against their flesh. Now, the more advanced stuff that's in leprosy, it eats at that flesh. And so we saw some of these folks and what they were dealing with. And they have to live away from everybody else. They have to stay away. And we, we felt so bad when we were in India because they have children while they're in these compounds. And... Those children don't have leprosy, but they are, in, without Christ and without help, they are destined to live the same poverty their parents are living in those compounds because they have lived among the lepers. It's really sad. These guys had leprosy. They have no, they can't get near Jesus. Ten of them, they're hanging out together. And it's interesting because these lepers, they're not all Jews. One of them's a Samaritan, which means he's from the, from the northern kingdom, and uh, Jesus is near Samaria. And uh, so they begin to cry out, as you read in your Bible there. They lifted up their voices and said to Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Now, if you write in your Bible, you can underline that word cleansed. So he gives them a command, right? He said, and this command is a biblical command because under the Old Covenant, under the Old Testament, if you had leprosy, the only way you could be in, uh, brought back into society is, is that you had to go show yourself to the priest. The priest was like the medical doctor. He would look at it, and there's a whole, you know, we go through this every year, but when you read Leviticus, I mean, there's a whole thing in there, like your house, if it has something growing in it and if your body's got something growing on it and all these things and the priests were the ones that said you're in or out you're in or out and so the lepers in the old testament they would have had to go to the priest to to one that he would verify they had leprosy and now they're outcast or two that they were leprosy was gone or had stopped was they were clean and they could come back into they could come back and conduct themselves in society. I think if you see the, ever have watched the movie Ben-Hur, um, in Ben-Hur, when his mom and sister get leprosy, you get a pretty good idea of what it was like in Judea for the people when they had leprosy, that they, they had to live away from everybody. They had to, these guys had to stay a long way off. They're in a distance, and they're yelling out, Lord Jesus, have mercy, have mercy upon us. And it says, so when they lifted their voice, 
He said, go show yourselves to the priests. In obedience to do that, they, go to, they start going to the priests, and when they do, they're cleansed. They're cleansed. But if you read on here, it says, in one of them, when he saw that he was healed, meaning that he had been cleansed, that the leprosy was gone, had stopped, he turned back, and with a loud voice, he glorified God. He glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, giving Jesus thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, We're not, there are not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Where are the nine? You know, all of them got a miracle. Their leprosy was stopped. But this one came back to thank the one that had healed him, the one that had made the declaration. And in verse 18 it says, There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And out of all of them, you know, here's the guy that would probably be least likely to come back because he's a Samaritan. He's the guy, while the Jews should be coming back, they don't come back. These nine Jews, they go on about their deal because they're cleansed. And this one decides that he's coming back to give thanks to the Lord, to give thanks to the one that healed him. Verse 19, And Jesus said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. And I want you to underline that word whole if you write in your Bible. Your faith has made you whole in verse 19. The Moffat translation says it like this. Rise and go, your faith has restored you. Your faith has restored you. And it's interesting if you do a word study on this, the word that's used for healing is different than this word that's used here for made whole or made well. Uh, it's a different word, and it, the connotation of it is, is that what was taken has been restored. What has been lost has been given back. So I believe that as you look at this passage, there's enough evidence here in, in studying it that this leper, that these ten lepers that went their way, they were all cleansed of their leprosy, meaning the leprosy was gone. But this one that came back to Jesus to give thanks, he was restored everything that he had lost. It was restored everything that he was that he had lost. I mean, if he lost a finger, the finger was back. If his nose had fallen off, he got his nose back. I mean, this is a really powerful image for you and I to realize that what has happened to this man only because, and listen, only because he came back to give thanks to the one that had cleansed him. He did not come back to be made whole. He came back to give thanks because he was cleansed. And this teaches us a really valuable lesson about faith. This guy's faith was in a person, not in a system. The other nine were giving in to the system, the system of what was required, the system. I mean, really, if you look at this, he didn't do what Jesus told him to do. He did go, but when he was cleansed, he didn't continue on. He came back because what he's doing is he's coming back to the one he knows has provided the healing. He's put his faith in a person, then his faith in a system. And I think this is a difficult challenge for even us as believers because, look, it's easy to give in to the system. 
the system of the way that things are, thinking, well, you know, one plus one does equal two in the system. But remember, when God is a factor in the system, that God, look, he's the one that wrote the laws and he's the one that determined the laws. And so God can do miraculous things even though one plus one equals two. Sometimes God can make that come out completely different. You know, when I, when I think about, like, we just had this happen this last week. I'm sure some of you probably had this experience. You know, when we got up in the morning, the moon was in one part of the sky, the sun was in the other part. Every time I see that, I always think about Joshua. They go out to battle, and while they're in this battle, God says, let the moon and sun stand still. Okay? Let the moon and sun stand still, and Lord, uh, until we vanquish or defeat the enemy. And it's so powerful because when you think about the context of that, that if the, the moon and the sun are standing still, and the earth is still is the earth has stopped rotating so that none of that is moving out of the purview of the people. Everybody sees it, and it stays there for hours and hours and hours until this battle is won. All right, so that means that nothing is moving. How incredible is it that people can still stay on the earth when the gravitational force that holds them to the earth has stopped working? Because see, one plus one in God's plan can mean whatever he wants it to mean in the end. If he wrote the laws, then he can decide how the, what the outcome's going to be. You know, the Israelites, the, just the incredible testimony of them going in, into the wilderness and the challenge that they dealt with while they were there. I mean, I mean there's no food in the wilderness. And there's no water in the wilderness. And God called them to the wilderness. They got to go through this wilderness period. I, I've shared with you a little bit before, and you can dig into this on your own. But, you know, in the, the image, we tend to have like the Ten Commandment, Charlton Heston version of what happened of them going out of Egypt and what took place. But, but when you really study it out and how that God worked in this situation, I mean, God, God literally trapped them against the Red Sea. He trapped them. Because, see, they go down, and if you read the, the account in the book of Exodus, when they go down from Egypt, they pass a fortress on their way down that's an Egyptian fortress. And as they make the, get down to the Red Sea, they make a left turn, and they start traveling up the Red Sea. And God tells them, that's the way I want you to go. And they get all the way up there, and there's these massive mountains that are there in front of them. And so God takes them all the way down by these mountains and they look and they camp there and then God says, all right, pick up camp and now go back. And so now they start going back and they travel all the way back down towards the, the, the tip of the landmass that's there and they're right not far from where the fortress is and what has God done? He has literally boxed them in. He's brought them to a place where now they know there's no way out. That's why they're petrified, because they can't, they're thinking, man, we can't go that way. There's mountains that way. Everybody will die going that way. We can't go back because there's a fortress right back here behind us that's Egyptian. What are we going to do? There's a sea in front of us, and we ain't got no boats. Pardon my bad English. Ain't got no. 
But I'll tell you what, every one of us here knows what it's like to be boxed in. To be boxed in. And what you and I do when we're boxed in is, is that we'll determine what's about. I mean, all kinds of stuff's happening. Stuff starts showing up. You know, Moses, what in the world were you thinking leading us out here? This isn't right. We should go back where we came from. Right? We should go back where we came from. Well, Moses, he doesn't know what to tell him. He panics. I mean, it really, if you read your Bible, Moses begins to panic. And he says, well, give me a minute. And he runs into the prayer room and he begins to talk to the Lord. He says, what were you thinking bringing us out here? Right? And God said, what is that in your hand? He says, it's the rod that you, that you gave me. He said, go stand out there before the people and tell those waters to part. Now, let me tell you, they don't write a book about how to part waters. There's not a manual to this, right? There, there isn't even any reference point to even know what, how to do this. Are you all with me right now? See, we're reading things retrospectively, so, you know, we, 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 we think, oh, well, that was really cool, you know, and the waters parted. But remember, to them, nobody had seen anything like this before. And so what does Moses do? He comes out, you know, he's a great man of faith and power. When back in the prayer room, he was a man of paste and flour. And so he comes out, man, and I mean, he stands up in front of those people and he said, folks, I got great news. We're going through the sea. Really? Wow. And how in the world is that going to happen? Just watch. And so there he stands and he says, you know, what the God you told me, now water's part and the wind starts blowing. And it does, look, this thing, like, it didn't, like, happen. It took all night. You see, don't, don't reference it to the Ten Commandments story. That's not the way it happened. The wind blew all night long. I got to imagine that wind was howling pretty, pretty solid through that waters. And those waters are moving to the side. And as they continue to move to the side, the, the Bible says that they, they became congealed. They froze. Those waters froze on the sides. When everybody got up in the morning, God, Moses said, pack your stuff, we're going over. Now, man... This is so cool. Everybody's excited. We're going to go through. We're going to get to the other side. They get to the other side. Now watch this. And the Egyptians are trailing. They're thinking, man, we, we're, going to, we're going to get to the other side and they're going to kill us. And Moses says, you won't see him again. As soon as they get to the other side, whatever was going on that was congealing those waters stopped that and it melted down and the waters covered the Egyptians and they were gone. All right? And you know, all of us on this side of the... Red Sea, we're like, whoo, and Jeannie sang it last week, I think, about, or quoted it about Miriam, man. You know, the, the horse and the rider, he's thrown into the sea, and yippee, awesome, this is great, wow. But guess what? They're boxed in again. Because now they can't go back. And guess what's in front of them? Desert. So now what becomes the order of the day? How are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? How will we live? 
How will we live? And every fear they had manifested. And you know the story how they end up and God takes care of them. But it's such a powerful thing. Look, one plus one, even though in our natural mind of systems and things the way they are, doesn't always come out the way that you think it's going to come out. And that God is working and doing things that you and I can't even imagine. You know, God's got a way bigger plan than your life. You know, when we thank God, when we give thanks, and that's what this guy did, we don't thank God because the system works. We thank God because he works. We thank God that he loves us and has given us life when we deserve death. We give thanks to him because he is working mightily no matter what. But I wonder today if we ask ourselves the question, do we long to see God for who he is and worship him for his glory and beauty and to serve him and to submit to him? Or do we only long to see him do what we want done? And look, you're, you're the only one that can answer that. I can't answer it. I think in the body of Christ and I think in our world right now, that there, and I've been talking about this for the last several weeks, I think a lot of people are running on reserves right now. They're running on reserves. They're not full. Their tanks are not full. Their spiritual tanks are not full. Their emotional tanks are definitely not full. They're, they're just running on reserve. And in reserve, the, the, the danger about that, just like we're learning about our gas reserves, oil reserves in the United States, that you only got so much in reserve. You know, all of us know what camels are. You know, camels, they'd say, are just amazing. They're the ship of the desert. A camel, you know, drink water and and it'll eat food and then it'll go for days. While people will die in three days out in the desert without water, camels go for weeks without water. But the problem with camels are, and this is anybody that's, you know, that that has ever dealt with camels knows this, that a camel, you can't tell it's having problems until it's dead. A camel will go and go and go, and it'll run its reserves out, and then one day it'll just get down on its knees and die on you. The day before, you thought it was doing great. I think a lot of God's people are that way. I think they're running on these reserves that they've got in their spiritual life. They're running on reserves, and, 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 and they don't even... And because of that, it's like if one more thing goes bad, if one more thing goes wrong, if one more election doesn't go the way, if one more problem, if one more virus, I mean, what, what would we do in our world if there was a, if, 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 if I'm, I'm not saying it is in Jesus' name, it won't, but if we had another pandemic, I mean, are we emotionally, are we spiritually in a place in our lives that we can go and give thanks to God Not that that system, that system is what it is, but that God is awesome and he's with us. You know, in Africa, the the people of the tribes to show honor to a person that has helped them, what they will do is they will go sit outside their hut. They just sit down on the ground outside the hut. And if people go by and say, what are you doing? I'm giving, I'm thanking them for what they've done for me. I'm sitting outside the hut you know what what look 
We can be cleansed. We can get through what we're going through. But I believe there are people here that want to be made whole. And I don't have to tell you or point out stuff in your life where you know you're not whole. Things are not whole in your life right now. And I'm not, I, like I said, I'm not saying you're sick. I'm not saying that something's wrong with you. But you've been trying to get whole. We've been trying to get whole for three years. Emotionally. The world is trying to get whole. COVID did a lot of damage. It did a lot of emotional damage to people. Stuff that's just starting to show up. We're, we're in a place right now where we're just trying to say, it's over, it's over, it's over, and we're going to live our lives. But even no matter how hard we try, listen to me, no matter how hard we're trying to get back to some kind of normalcy, it doesn't feel normal. It doesn't feel normal. And the only normalcy that will ever come to our lives is not going to be found in that every restaurant is open and there's plenty of servers and that we can go to the movies or go to the woods or we can hunt or do all these other, get on a boat or, or whatever. The only way that normalcy will ever come back to your life is that we start spiritually and that's sitting outside the hut of our Savior. Yeah. Giving thanks to me is one of the most humbling things that we can do in our lives. It really is. You know, we'll sit around the table. We're having one of our Thanksgivings today, this afternoon. And our kids will all say, well, I'm thankful for, you know, and the grandkids will say, I'm thankful. Most of it's family, usually. And uh, one of them once in a while will say, I'm thankful for the car my papa will buy me. But, <laughs> you know, but most of the time it's just the real... But, you know, even though we're doing that, you don't, there's, there's no humility in that. You know what? When you really thank somebody, there's a humility that goes along with it, a humbleness. Maybe humility is a rough word. But there's a humbleness because I, I'm telling, I want to tell you what you mean to what you mean. When was the last time that you stopped? And thank Jesus for the blood. And I'm not talking about just said, thank you for the blood. Lord, you delivered me. You delivered me out of so much. Watch what this does in our thinking. See, that humbleness that comes to our lives when we realize, think of all the times that you deserved punishment in your life and didn't get it. All right, all the things that you've done that you know about, but you didn't get in trouble for. All the things that you deserved, that you did not get. Now escalate that to the hell that you deserved. The eternal punishment that mankind deserves because of his rebellion against Almighty God. And then we come to God and say, Lord, thank you so much for giving your life for me. I deserve death. Lord, there are so many stupid things I did in my life. You know, I know all the times. I think about them all the time, the times that I was driving drunk out of my mind. 80, 90 miles an hour down the road, thinking, man, if I hit that pylon, I don't really care anymore. But somehow, I, think, I don't think it was because of me. I think it was because my uncle was praying for me. But I had... I had an uncle that would stand before God and say, God, save my nephew. 
Don't let him go. Don't let him go. I'm not letting him go. You know, I thanked him many times while he was here on this earth, but I don't know that I ever really got out of my heart. I thanked him from the, my pulpits that I've preached in through the years, but I don't know that I ever really got out. He's one of the people I want to talk to when I get to heaven. Because our family, my whole family, look, we were all going to hell, and he was the only one that was standing in faith. He was it. And now all of them born again before they went to heaven, all of them, most of all of them, filled with the Holy Spirit, bunch of them in ministry. That's all because of his work. See, what does real thankfulness look like? It looks like I'm, I just want, and, and you know, it, it's hard when people really thank you, you know, because then you feel weird, right? You're like, okay, enough, enough. I get it, I get it, right? Because they're telling you that how much that means. And so I'm not saying that you got to go around to people today and say, hey, I, you know, hey, pastor, I just want to thank you for all, that's not what I'm talking about because that isn't gonna, that's not what I, where I see the greatest advantage coming from. The wholeness comes from moving away from the systematic thinking of our faith and moving to the relational attitude that Jesus is the one I need to thank right now. Thank you. I was uh, singing this song. I'm not going to sing it this morning. One, I'll be a mess doing it. But the song is called My Tribute, and Andre Crouch wrote it. It's a powerful song because it says, How can I say thanks for all the things you've done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you give to show your love for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All I am and all I hope to be, I owe it all to you. Then he goes on and he says, to God be the glory for the things that he has done. By his blood, he has saved me. By his power, he has raised me. To God be the glory for the things that he has done. Are you grateful for the blood? I mean, are you grateful that God, and I know some of you, look, you were brought up in church, you're good people, you've been good people all your life, okay? And I know I'm from the other crowd, right? The outsiders. I'm the Samaritan. I'm the Samaritan. I don't deserve to be here, but I am. And the best thing I can offer to God is my thanks the rest of my day and, be, and to do what he asked me to do, but to be grateful for everything that he's done. Because with his blood, he saved me. And with his power, he raised me. I asked the Father last night, I said, Lord, I asked him again this morning, Lord, give something to your people today. More than just words, give them a touch from heaven. I, I, I'm asking. So I'm going to ask you to stand if you would right now. And look, 